This is Dan Fagella, and you're listening to AI in Industry. We continue our theme for the entire month of January, which is buying and procuring AI in the enterprise. This advice, again, will be just as applicable for those of you in mid-sized companies as well. Our guest this week is Shane Zabel. He's the head of AI at Raytheon, one of the largest defense contractors in the world. It wouldn't be a complete series about buying and procuring AI in the enterprise if we didn't have a giant enterprise player. And Shane, as the head of AI at Raytheon, is certainly an educated one to boot. Shane has seen plenty of internal applications of AI and plenty of vendors pitch his firm and has some pretty simple and succinct advice for picking a vendor. If you haven't downloaded it already, we actually have a free PDF guide called Five Keys to Selecting the Right AI Vendor, and you can download that at emerge.com slash B-U-Y-1. That's E-M-E-R-J dot com slash B-U-Y-1. Again, buy one is the URL at the end of emerge.com, and that's Five Keys to Selecting the Right AI Vendor. It is a three-page PDF, very short, very succinct, but provides a framework for Uh, determining the proper AI vendor for your own service needs. A lot of money is wasted in this domain, and we think that this PDF will be useful for those of you that are actually making a decision for who to work with or who to build a short list of as at least a first step. So hopefully that's useful for those of you who are interested. And without further ado, we're going to hop right in here. This is Shane Zabel with Raytheon here on AI and Industry. Shane, so on the topic of buying and procuring AI, how, how do you think, you know, from a vendor perspective, I think it could be a big consulting firm, it could be a, you know, hot Silicon Valley startup, whatever the case may be, it could be IBM. How should business decision leaders or decision makers think about screening vendors, deciding on vendors? What are, what are good ways to think about that? Uh, one way I think of that is, is the standard make-buy kind of decision. So if you've if you've got a, a business strategy and an AI technology strategy, and you've broken that down into the elements, and you kind of understand what, what type of capabilities and technology do you need to develop, you're going to make a decision in terms of what should you build in-house and what should you outsource. So that's where it really starts, is understanding within the AI field, what are the parts that, that you want to build internally? Where do you think you're your key discriminators are going to be, and what are the parts that you do not want to invest internally in, and you may be better off outsourcing to a vendor. And so then at that point, there's a there's a lot of vendors in the AI space right now, and they're, oh, yeah. they're you know, and which is a good thing that gives you a lot of opportunities, but you have to be able to filter through it. And so it can be challenging to even understand what the entire market is, who who are all the players. Typically, if you have a, an AI organization that you've spun up, that would be one of the roles that they should have is understanding what the commercial market is um, and vetting, you know, going out, meeting vendors, understanding the vendors and doing the initial vetting for it. And that should be aligned because the market space is so big, that should be aligned to that original discussion about what parts of the market are you looking to partner with and which ones are you, you know, building internally. And so that, that kind of decides kind of what companies that you want to go after. And then it's just your standard vendor vetting process that you'll go through. Typically, you'll be introduced to a company. You'll set up an initial discussion. Um, sometimes it helps to get some type of non-disclosure agreement in place if you if they pass the first test. Yeah, if they, yeah. And then, then you can go into more technical details. And, and typically, both your business teams and your um, engineering or your technology teams can have those further discussions. And and then it you know goes from there. It depends on whether you're looking at it as a uh, supplier or whether it's a partner. 
And um, I, I don't, you know, to some extent that that whole make buy question do, isn't really different in the AIML world. It's huh. just the the technology is a little bit different, I think. Yeah, so there still does have to be the, the, I guess, the context on the technology. But I've definitely heard a lot of takes on the build by side of things. Certainly, we have our own opinions here. Um, but I'd I'd be interested in your thoughts. It sounds like for you, there's there's maybe sort of a core way of thinking about that, and AI doesn't necessarily vary. You kind of brought it up very briefly. You mentioned, you know, is this really your key distinction? You know, something you want to build in house as a core capability that's going to differentiate you and be what your your business really leans on as like a critical capability, so to speak. Um, versus, is this something you don't want to invest in? Maybe you could put a little bit more color on that. You know, how you think about build versus buy at a high level, and and why it's not that different from other technology. Yeah. So. I guess the way to think about it is if with your business strategy and your AI technology strategy, figuring out where you fit in the market space and, and what is it that, what part of that market space do you want to be market leading in? And there's a lot of components to AI and machine learning, and you may not want to tackle them all. So, so one example would be your data strategy. Um, if you are not in, if you are selling some type of marketing product or you're selling some type of, you know, uh, engineering service or something like that. You don't you you don't want to be in the development of a data lake um, business, right? You don't want to go off and and build your own data lake technology. That might be a great place to partner because that's not where your core discriminator is. It's an enabling technology that you have to have, but it's not something that you're going to go out and build. You know, from a data data lake framework perspective, you're not going to go build a business around it. So that might be an area that you would want to to, to you'd start thinking about. Maybe I need to go find a, a supplier or a partner on the data lake side. Whereas, you know, in some other areas that you might look at, if you look at the end-to-end AI um, kind of chain, you, you'll focus in on on a few of those areas that you might uh, uh, might want to be a discriminator in. And you may not, from a technology perspective, for some organizations, you may not you may want to partner for all of the technology. And that your discriminators maybe as some type of integrator, or you know maybe you're a you're a packaging piece. So it's it's hard to say specifically. You know it really depends on the specifics of your business. What what are you going after? What do you want to be good at? And then going out and finding partners that provide the capabilities that you need to pull together in order to provide those goods or services. So it's sort of you you mentioned just I'll put a little bit more color on this and we'll pivot right into the next question is around what do you want to be good at. Is that is that are we to take that to to understand that sort of if something is something that we want to be good at, oh, we really want to be good at, let's say, understanding customers' preferences for these fashion products, and uh, they're they're kind of related correlations of sort of what people purchase when they like this thing or like this other thing. Are you saying that there's a shot that that might lean us more in the direction of developing our own kind of recommendation and customer understanding models versus leveraging? you know, recommendation vendor X or Y or Z. Um, is, is that sort of a potential leaning based on, on, on what you were saying? I just want to make sure I'm digesting the idea. Yeah, I think that that's a good analogy. So if we take that case, if, you're, if your business was understanding customer preferences, you might want to be very good at understanding the psychology of the customers. You might want to be very good at understanding products. Um, you might be want to be very good at having the data scientist who can do the modeling around that. At that point, you may go off and develop specific algorithms for it, potentially, if the, if the open source algorithms aren't good enough for it. And in that case, maybe 
you don't want to, your, your focus isn't purely on cloud infrastructure, right? That's, that's not where you're going to add value to. So you might go off and partner with a company that can go off and handle your cloud part of it. That's an enabling technology that'd be required for you to go do machine learning towards customer market preference. But you'd outsource that because you want to focus your energy, your research and development, your talent development around those other algorithmic areas, around those data understanding areas, around the customer understanding areas. And those maybe would be areas that you wouldn't want to go off and outsource because that's core to your company. And that's that's where you want to build your core discriminators at. So that's kind of – that. That's kind of yeah, how yeah, I, no, that, that that does. Yeah, the, the term discriminator is actually just something I haven't heard people use that particular word, but I now am sort of understanding in context um, what you what you had meant by that. And I guess that that sort of takes us into our second major question here, which is around getting into the proof of concept. A lot of POCs in the AI enterprise world right now are, are not really leaving POC land. They're not leaving the sandbox um, and and kind of coming into reality. Uh, maybe sometimes that's because, to your advice, they, they haven't. They haven't yet built that internal AI capability that you mentioned that really understands the market, knows who to talk to, who not to talk to, what would be worthwhile or a waste of time. But if, if you were to talk about maybe going about POCs the right way, let's just say maybe I do find a, a partner. Maybe it's it's somebody who works on fraud models. You know, I'm that I'm that online fashion retailer and I don't really want to get good at detecting fraud. It's not my business. My business is is selling, you know, necklaces and earrings, let's say. In that case, maybe I, I go into a POC. There's clearly a wrong, kind of a kind of a right set of steps, a wrong set of steps, a right way to understand, it, a wrong way to understand it about setting up a POC for success, so we have our best chance of turning it into something real. How would you explain doing it well, uh, as opposed to the common pitfalls you see? I typically, when I look at POCs, I almost don't think of them as being a direct path to production. AI and machine learning, to put it into production, requires a whole infrastructure. It requires process. There's a big gap between companies that can build prototypes or individuals that can prototype on a laptop and companies that can deploy that and, and maintain yep. those models in operation. Yep. That, you've got, it's, you have to have your business processes around it. You have to, you have to understand model testing. You know, there's, a, there's a whole series of capabilities that are required for production machine learning that are not required there for POCs. So, so what POCs are good at is a couple things, right? They're very good at, at uh, education and understanding, getting into the data and understanding what do you really have and where's the, the real potential business benefit. They're very good at use case exploration right towards that business side. But at some point, you're going to make a decision, do I now want to transition to this in ops into, into operations? And with the understanding that there is a there is potentially a significant investment of both time and resources that's going to be required to redo the POC or, or leverage the POC and extend it into a production model. And so at the end of a POC, you I would recommend that you have your, your profit and loss people, um, your organization, take a look at it have your technology team make an estimate. Here's what it would take in order to put this into production and then make a return on an investment decision at that point. Is, is this something worth putting into production? And maybe halfway through, you should have checkpoints in your POC. You should be continuously asking this question, is this worth continuing or not? And you may have to do multiple POCs before you find that one killer use case that you really want to deploy into ops. And but when you get it right, there's there's potentially a great great benefit to it. That's why everybody's going after this. But it's it's hard. It's it's uh, super hard. Yeah. 
Yeah. A couple really interesting points you brought up. I just want to poke into these before we wrap up, Shane, because you've opened up some cans of worms. Clearly, yes, the the difference between a sandbox and enterprise applications, especially if they interact with customers in some way, the amount of upkeep, the the integration with systems in real time. I mean, we're to another stratosphere of difficulty there. But you had mentioned that you might have to try a bunch of different POCs before you find something that that feels like it has traction. I really like your point about having benchmarks like, hey, we need to be keeping track of these things because if we can't even get to this level, it's not even worth continuing the POC. I think that's really useful for people so that they don't stay in the sandbox forever. Do you see some instances where POCs are done overtly for the sake of use case exploration, kind of just just kind of diving in and just understanding capability without really any expectation on deployment. I think everybody presumes deployment is going to be easier than it is, um, and then and then you know POCs are a failure, quote unquote, because of it. Do you see people doing POCs purely for the sake of learning? And is that worthwhile? Maybe it's a little bit manipulative to the vendors, but I don't know. I'm just trying to get your honest take here, just based on what on what you'd said. Yeah, I wouldn't say that that's the rule, but but it certainly can happen, and it just depends on what your objective of the POC is, right? If you if you have a POC whose objective is exploration, that's you know that's fine. Um, what I typically find with POCs is there's a lot of unknowns when you start down a machine learning model development path. Um, how much how much data will I need in order to get to the performance that I think is required in order to deploy this into production? And doing estimates for things like neural networks and deep learning of the number of training samples required to hit a specific performance level is very difficult and you might argue it's impossible. And so sometimes you just don't know until you go and do a POC. You think, I, you know, you, you have a business case. You think, if I could perform this task using machine learning, I think there'd be significant business benefit. But I don't really know if it's possible. So let me go do a prototype or a proof of concept uh, with this company or internally to go explore that. And as you get into it, you realize I'm two orders of magnitude too low in the amount of data that I'm collecting in order to beat uh, to meet my performance objective. And so at that point, you've you've learned a lesson through the POC. It was a good use case, but it's it's not it's not a good operational use case. You've explored that through the POC, and at some point, you make a decision to either go get more data or try a different path. And and you might have to try a couple of those before you you find you know the the right fit. And that's a great use of a of a POC or or a pilot project is to go explore those types of things. And the other one is. If you're teaming, particularly on a POC, you do learn a lot about a relationship with your vendor by actually going off and doing some type of proof of concept, and and that helps you explore what does the business relationship look like, you know, the non-technical aspects of of doing artificial intelligence and machine learning, and and how's that going to look like? So you you learn a lot. They're they're very useful as long as you keep them bounded and you've got checkpoints through it that you you understand what your objective is and you've got checkpoints through it. Um, that you're measuring against those objectives. So this is, I'm just going to try to nutshell this, Shane. I'll see if you have any last things to add to the nutshell. I'd really like to make sure the audience can go home with some some core lessons here. One is have initial objectives going into the POC. What are you aiming to get out of this? What is the core takeaway? Are we, are we looking to see if X is possible? Are we looking to hopefully be able to achieve Y? You know, is this something where, you know, in our in our best hopes, we would be deploying? You know, what, what is the objective? What are the benchmarks whereby we can we can measure that? It also sounds like there needs to be an attitude of seeing these as 
opportunities to learn hard lessons about our data infrastructure, about our in-house subject matter experts, and if they can handle certain kinds of problems, about the possibility of certain kinds of applications even you know, being viable, that, that we have to take those as lessons because we're not going to be able to expect to see ROI from these things in, in any kind of short-term and tangible way. Does there need to be a mindset shift towards a view of those lessons as critical? And, and if so, how do you explain that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I part of part of machine learning development is experimentation. And that has to, if you're going to go down this road, you have to organizationally get comfortable with experimentation. And sometimes with experimentation, having a failure is a good thing. You you learned a lot out of that. And that's maybe not typical. That's difficult sometimes from a business perspective to say, I went off, I spent some money on this, it didn't work, and that was a good thing. And so, you know, that's part of your POC and your stakeholder alignment is is having making sure everybody has enough understanding of the technology and understanding kind of the iterative experimental nature with some of the machine learning uh, approaches that 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 is um, that that is actually rewarded. Because if you're if you're organizationally, if your expectation is that every thread that you go down from a POC or a pilot project is is going to turn into you know large revenue, you're, you'll you'll stall out as an organization. You'll get you'll get slowed down by by the performance of some of this. If if you accept as an organization that some level of of experimentation and and potentially failure is probably the wrong word, but some level of of non-productionizing products that come out of POCs is a good thing, and that's just part of it, and you build that into your return on investment calculation, that you say, you know, you've budgeted out some of my POCs I'm not expecting to get, to get a large return on, then you will be successful because that's kind of what is necessary, at least at this stage um, in the technology development to, to be able to develop these capabilities. Couldn't agree more. Uh, obviously, means a lot coming from your experience. I think I might argue even today that a lot of POCs go in with with these sort of expectations of this being built on some path to deploy when really a mindset around that learning is super critical. Hopefully for those of you who are tuned in, this sort of shift in being able to build that will will just mean faster learning and ultimately a better foundation to really build on the the core kinds of enabling capabilities that AI will, will unlock. Shane, I super appreciate you being able to join us here for a second interview, and I know that's all we have for time. So thanks again for joining us on AI and Industry. Thank you very much. So that's all for this episode of AI in Industry. If you've enjoyed this episode or this series in general, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. It's just AI in Industry on iTunes. Pretty easy to find us. Drop us a five-star review. Let us know what you like about the show, what you want to read more of. We are always staying abreast of the reviews of the show itself and taking that feedback to heart. So I look forward to hearing from you there. In our next episode, we're going to keep with our theme of buying and procuring AI in the enterprise. We're going to speak with a startup, particularly a startup in the logistics space, who has a perspective of what the big companies do wrong when they go about buying and procuring. So you'll want to stay tuned for next Tuesday. So I'll catch you here on AI in Industry. 